The day is Sunday, December 10th, the year of 2000. My first job, I was a custodian of a local church with my friend whose dad happened to be the pastor. And so we were doing our normal duties, but that ended up also being an event called Chili and Carols. This was an annual event that the church put on where people would bring chili, uh, have a chili cook-off, and then sing Christmas carols to one another and have a, a good old time. What I didn't realize is that night... I would not only be cleaning up after a chili cook-off, which I'll let you use your imagination, but it was also the time where I would meet the person that I would go on one of my first dates with, um, who I would end up talking to her mom a few months later, and her mom asking me, so you going uh, to her Tolo? And while I was not originally planning on it, uh, I felt kind of backed into a corner, and I said, looks like I am. Then on May 4th, we go on our first date, and five years later, whom I met on December 10th, that young girl became my bride, who is now the mother of my three children, Darianne. And so uh, that was a night that, let's just say, turned out a little bit differently than I thought. But over those five years of a typical high school relationship of on again, off again, there were lots of talks about marriage. And I I look back and as you see the pictures of us both at our first date, um, my wife's probably not going to like that I shared that one because she loves that picture so much. But also of our wedding day, we look like babies. We were 21 and 19 um, and we have a story that I'm so thankful for. And at the same time, there's ways in which I wouldn't, uh, wouldn't want that for other people. Uh, there's been good that we've grown up together, uh, but then there's also parts that we weren't ready for. And one of those that I wasn't ready for is I still um, had this picture um, that marriage equaled unlimited sex. Um, I was 21 years old. I had not had sex up to that point. I, I wanted to, to only have that in a marriage relationship. And so I had this picture that marriage equals sex. Um, And that once I had it, then all those lustful longings I had experienced since my first viewing of pornography would be fulfilled. But unfortunately, that didn't happen. I was naive. Many people in our day, and even back then, they don't make sex and marriage equal. They actually make them completely different from one another. Yeah, sex is something that isn't confined to a marriage relationships, whether it's a hookup culture or you're in a committed relationships, relationship and you can have sex whenever you'd like. Marriage and sex aren't um, automatically the same thing. Even that idea of um, only having sex in marriage is an archaic, old, killjoy type of an experience. And what I want to submit to you is sex in marriage is a gift that has the ability to glue a couple together as a sign of Jesus's relationship with the church. And so uh, if we are to walk in these ways, if we are to utilize the gift in the way that God has given it, then it is the most humanizing and fulfilling and enjoyable way of life and enjoyable way to experience sex. Now to my friends that don't believe the gospel, that have not yet professed faith in Jesus, 
there, I, I want to just kind of share with you briefly, and as a reminder of those that do believe this, a little bit of a picture biblically of what marriage is all about. What, what is it for? Um, this is not to force upon anybody a, like, you have to believe this if you are doing this and stuff. It's like, no, let me just kind of give you, a paint you a picture. In the beginning of creation, God created in the heavens and the earth, but he also created man and woman in his own image. Before he created woman, he recognized that it's not good for man to be alone because we are made in, an, uh, in the image of a relational God, a God that de desires intimacy. He's eternally experienced it in his triune nature, but he also desires to experience it with us, those that bear his image. So Eve was a compliment to. She was like him, but she was different from him. And they w w became one flesh. A father and the mother, uh, excuse me, a man shall leave his father and mother, and the two shall become one flesh. Adam's response was, wow, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And they experienced the sexual reality of how God designed them in an intimate way where they were naked and unashamed. They were fully known, fully loved, and no need to hide. But we know the story doesn't end there. Adam and Eve rebelled against God. And as because of the rebellion, it welcomes in sin. No longer is that gift of sex in a marriage relationship confined there, and now it goes outside of that. That marriage relationship of naked and unashamed is now um, sinful and known to be sinful. So the need to hide and cover themselves they now are blame-shifting one another, saying it's your fault or it's your fault. They're no longer seeking the welfare, seeking the good of the other. And since then, um, sexuality has gone and g gone haywire, whether it's um, outside of how God designed it, whether it's uh, sexual immorality, whether it's sexual abuse, uh, I mean, the sadness of our day is one in five or 20% of adults say that they have experienced sexual abuse. That, that's horrific. That's unbelievably sad. And that's an effect of sin and our rebellion against God and taking it outside of where God designed it to be. But God, in his goodness, came as what the Bible calls a bridegroom. He came as one who was pursuing his bride. He and that they purchased back, he paid the, the down payments in his own blood. And he said he's going away. He gave us this picture of what a husband is to do. And, and we, the church, his bride, are now able to be united with him in spirit by the Spirit. But one day we'll be fully united with him when he comes and renews and restores all of creation. It's going to the biggest and best wedding feast that there has ever been. And so we have this picture of marriage as a, a place of intimacy, but it's also of physical oneness. And in Corinth, when Paul was addressing this church, that is not what they were doing. Last week, we talked about the importance of our bodies. 
um, that we are embodied souls, that God created us as a body and soul in unison and the importance of to pay attention to our bodies. Where he goes in chapter 7 builds on top of that. And because now he involves not just bodies generally, but specifically speaking about the importance of sex in the relationship of a husband and a wife. So let me just read this and give some context. Chapter 1. Now in response to the matters you wrote about, and this is him quoting, it's good for a man not to use a woman for sex. But because sexual immorality is so common, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife, and each woman should have sexual relations with her own husband. A husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise, a wife to her husband. A wife does not have the right over her own body, but her husband does. In the same way, a husband does not have the right over his own body, but his wife does. Do not deprive one another, except when you agree for a time to devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again. Otherwise, Satan may tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So, Paul is correcting something that's going haywire in the church. There is a group of people here that believed that there was no need for sex anymore. They had achieved the resurrected state. The kingdom had come. They, have an, they had an over-realized picture that the kingdom of God was fully here, not somewhat in the present. And so they said, hey, we've already reached this, so we don't need to have sex with you anymore. We're going to deprive you uh, of what a marriage relationship is for because we've already attained it. And so these people that were being deprived were going and having sex, becoming one, united with prostitutes. And so Paul is coming in and saying, wait a second, we need to address this. There's something off about this. And part of the reason why it's off is that he had a picture of what the marriage relationship was supposed to be like. And so he talks about that to the Ephesians church in chapter 5. Starting in verse 21, submitting to one another um, in the fear of Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, because the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of the body. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of um, water by the word. Going down to verse 30. We are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This mystery is profound, but listen to this. I'm talking about Christ and the church. Paul has this biblical understanding of marriage. And he has this understanding of how a marriage relationship is supposed to work. I'll use the language of ordered equality. They are equal. They are one, both as image bearers of God. They both have responsibilities to think of the other person prior to themselves. In for the wives, it was to submit to their husband as if submitting to Jesus. To the husbands, it was to love as Jesus loved. Now, a lot of times this is taken to the point of like, hey, wives, submit to me. I'm like the head of the church. That is not what that passage is talking about. 
This passage says that the husband is to lay down his life as Jesus laid down his life for the church. How did Jesus do that? Death. Personal sacrifice. Lay down his rights, it says in Philippians 2. Took on the form of a slave. And so what you have here is a picture of a relationship where each person, while there is order in that, they are seeking the benefit of the other prior to seeking their own benefit. This is the picture of biblical love. Can you imagine a relationship where it's not about me, but it's about the other? And if both people are constantly wanting to think about what's in it for the other person, how can I lay down my life for them, my desires for them, my good for their good? That is the environment in which sex is given as a gift from God. This is what sex, where sex is meant to be. And so sex is to be in that marriage relationship. But what is sex for? Why did God give that? A few things. First, uh, sex is a gift. It is designed by God. He organized our bodies in a way that not only would it bind us, but it would be pleasurable. It's a good gift designed by him. Now, I like to liken this gift to fire. Fire is a wonderful thing. Um, we use it to cook. Um, I, look f I use it to just enjoy company. Uh, we've just put in a patio in our backyard. I'm very excited to have some of you, many of you over to our house sometime this summer to just be and relax and enjoy one another around a fire pit. It's a wonderful experience. But a fire outside of the confines in which it was created, a fireplace, a fire pit, an oven or a stove, it can be deadly and dangerous. You place that same spark in that same fire in a dry um, forest and you have a forest fire that has the uh, ability to take out acres and acres of land and kill lots and lots of people. It's that powerful, but it's still a gift. It's still good in its very nature. Is it perverted? Is it taken outside of that for personal gain? Yes, but in and of itself, it is still a good gift. Now, secondly, sex is a glue. Sex is a glue. Earlier in the in chapter six, uh, it talks about. Do you not know that any? This is chapter six, verse sixteen. Do you not know that anyone joined to a prostitute is um, one body with her? Notice that word "join." This literally is the idea of glue. Sex is a gift that is given to join a couple. And this is not just a physical, anatomical joining of body parts. This is a joining in the deepest parts of our desires and longings. A lot of times we like to think of sex primarily from a, if I can use the term, cravings perspective. This is where orgasm takes place. This is where the physical act is. This is my 21-year-old self thinking this is what the purpose of sex is, is just to have an orgasm and, and mutual orgasm, okay? 
Now, the problem with that is, and now those are good things. That is an amazing thing. That is something our bodies are designed for and it's a good thing. That is part of what joins us together. Scientists have come to discover what the hormone oxytocin, if I say it right, is for. It, it's the, the hormone that binds us together. It's what makes us one. The more you have it with the same person, the deeper bind you are with one another. But it's not just a physical craving to be met. Sex is a glue because it is two becoming one, not just physically, but from a body, soul, spirit perspective. You are becoming one. This is the picture of intimacy. And this glue has a goal. So not only is sex a gift, not only is it glue, the goal of sex is intimacy. It's not just craving satisfaction. It is that you are bound together in oneness. And that is the purpose of it. It is the invitation to every time you and I have a sexual craving, it is a way in which our body is telling us that we long to be intimate with another. We long to be known, to be, to be um, fully known, to be unashamed, to be naked and unashamed even, if I use the biblical language. That's the purpose of sex. It's to build that oneness and to be intimate with one another. Not just physically, but deeply bound together as one. That's the beautiful picture of what God has designed the gift of sex to be. And so that's why it's confined to that place. I was having a conversation with a friend um, years ago, before I was even married, uh, telling him of my desire to not have sex before I got married. He was sexual, uh, he had sex with a lot of people. And he said, oh, that's so archaic and blah, blah, I said, why would you ever want to do that? And I told him, um, I was like, well, part of the reason is because I'll have no one to compare them to. I, I will be able to explore, experiment, learn together, be bad at it, but get good at it together, find out what works together, serve one another in that way. And it can be an our thing, and I have no one in my mind to remember or compare them to. That's a gift that God designed it for. And he looked at me, he's like, wow, that would be so nice. Now I know not everybody has had that ability. And some people you may have had with others. But even now, if you are married, if you're single, I have a whole week coming up next week about what Paul has to say about the high good calling of singleness. But the gift of sex in marriage is ultimately about intimacy. But Paul is a realist too. That's why he says to not, to not deprive one another in verse 5. He recognizes that we're still embodied souls. We still have physical desires. And so don't deprive or defraud one another of them. And notice the one another piece. Paul is making an unbelievable statement here. The same authority that a wife, uh, excuse me, a husband has over his wife. Now, the husband could divorce the wife at any time for whatever re reason he wanted to. If she wasn't fulfilling him um, sexually, in that culture, he could have just signed a divorce certificate and moved on. But what Paul is saying is this preposterous elevation. It's amazing in their culture. 
The same authority that a husband has over a wife, the wife also has over the um, husband. The duty that the wife has to the husband, the husband also has to the wife. This is not a one-way street domineering picture. And for so long, we've had this picture, man has cravings, wife's duty is to fulfill them. That's not what this passage is talking about. This is mutually satisfying. This is mutual care. This is laying down my desires for the sake of the other because it's about intimacy, not just about craving. And so don't deprive one another because there is cravings. They are needing to be met, but it's deeper than that. It's more important than that, that our intimacy is the goal of this. And here's the beautiful picture of this. One day, Jesus says, there will be no marriage and no giving in marriage. So this gift isn't the ultimate. It's a picture of what's to come. And that's because the picture of what's to come is the ultimate being known. You and I crave to be naked and unashamed, to be known and fully accepted, fully loved. In the gospel, you and I have that. And it's the gospel that allows for this marriage relationship to proclaim that to the world. I'm naked and unashamed. I'm known. I can be one with this person. I can be bound together, glued with them. And so Paul is bringing a reality to the future present. Yes, we have cravings. He says, don't deprive one another. But the goal of sex the gift of sex is that it's a glue for a couple. It's to proclaim the gospel. And the goal of it is intimacy. So you and I, brothers and sisters, have an opportunity to walk in these ways, to experience humanity in its fullest, to enjoy the gift of sex as husbands and wives, to experience the gift that it is, the joy, the fun, the pleasure that it is as a good gift but ultimately to experience God in a new way because it's about intimacy, not just about craving. So I don't know where you are in this journey, whether you're, you're unmarried and looking forward to this. As we'll talk about next week, that level of intimacy can be known without the physical act of sex. Okay, Paul even gives some, he says, hey, if you are unable to um, limit your cravings. Get married. He gives that in chapter 7. But that the goal is intimacy. You may be in a marriage relationship and you may not be portraying the gospel in self-sacrifice. You may not be fully um, understanding the equality that comes with the order that God designs. That this is an invitation to you to sacrifice your desires for the sake of the other. To seek their benefit not only your benefit and ultimately to experience intimacy because it's in that relationship that we're able to experience it in a way that gives us a picture of what God will be like. We long for intimacy. We long for oneness. And so as a church, may we be a people that proclaim the goodness of the, of the gospel. We experience God's gift. We are bound in our relationship as husband and wife and we can experience the future present. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the gift of sex. Thank you for the gift of marriage. Thank you that you've given them together to produce intimacy 
and oneness as you long to be one with us. So may we, your people, walk in the way that you've established morality in this world so we can live the most flourishing human life possible. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.